I don't really know what Roberta said, but anyway, it was good. I am so privileged, so honoured, and so humbled to be able to address um, the fraternity. This is my first time. I address lots of bishops and priests all over the world. I feel very at home with them. But I, when I was preparing, like Patty, you know, I remind, she reminded me of a story of something that happened to me that taught me a wonderful lesson. Many years ago, I was asked, some of you were there, some of the priests, to speak at the worldwide priest retreat here in the Vatican. And one year before, I got a call from a Monsignor to my office to say, could I please send a complete transcript of my talk? And I thought, one year before? So I said to my secretary, you know, I'll have to tell them that what the Holy Spirit is going to say next year, I have no idea. So they just have to wait. So I sat down and I wrote a letter to uh, the Monsignor and I told him that I pray a lot, I meet Jesus every day for a few hours in the Blessed Sacrament, and that I would pray, but that I just couldn't write him anything. So if he didn't want me, just let me know, and that was fine. So I never heard from him anymore until a couple of maybe months before. But every day, I made a holy hour for that particular thing, for all the priests, and that I would be open to whatever Jesus wanted. Anyway, the day arrived, and it was a little scary. Mother Teresa and myself were on the same morning. And Mother Teresa is a saint, as you know. I'm far from it, trying. But anyway, I'm walking down, and all these thousands of priests are sitting there, and they're black, you know, all very clarity, and all the bishops. And my knees were like a little shaky, you know, but I had prayed a lot. So the next thing, this bishop comes forward and he said to me, Sister, in your talk, could you put this video, it wasn't the DVDs, you know, the old video, he could, could you implement this into your talk, insert it in someplace? And I'm looking at him and I'm, I said to him, what is it? And he said, well, the, if I remember clearly, the theme of my talk was the priest, healer, reconciler. I don't remember the deep, but it was to do with forgiveness and healing and reconciliation. So he said, oh, it's Pope John Paul um, getting shot, you know, in the square. And it's John... Pope John Paul with Aliaji in the prison. So I took it. And in the back of my <clears throat> in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, if I had this all written out, I'd be in a terrible dilemma, because where would you fit it? Anyway, I started and I really prayed. And at one point, I just got the prompt. He said, now stop. And so I looked out at the mall and I said, now to personify what I've just told you, there's a person very special, and he will teach us by his actions. And the whole back of the auditorium, you know, that big uh, audience hall, 
lit up and you see Pope John Paul in the square and you know, them holding him. And then you see him, uh, of course, going into the prison. And the lights were out. It was very effective. So afterwards, these people came up and said, oh, Sister Bridget, it must have taken you years. How did you ever prepare that? You fitted. And I could hear the Lord saying, don't take the credit. <laughs> but Mother Teresa, and this is, I'm telling you this because, you know, a saint, Mother Teresa was really uh, extraordinary. Her greatest call was to, her holiness is what converted people. Protestants, Catholics, Muslims, everybody. People were profoundly touched because she was a saintly woman, humble little woman. But she, we had time together and she took my two hands. After my turn, she looked me right in the eye and she said, she didn't know anything about my preparation. She said, Sister Breach, I know that it was the Eucharistic Jesus that was working through you up there. She said, now you always keep your eyes on Jesus and always keep close to him in the Blessed Sacrament and you never have to worry. That was from Mother Teresa. So Patty, when you were saying that, I, I learned. But I do pray and I prayed these days since I've been asked to speak. I'd like to say a prayer that St. Augustine loved to the Holy Spirit and then I would like to just very briefly share a little bit about my own background. Brief. And then I would like to share, for me as a Catholic, and for me as a nun, and for you as leaders, which, and especially Catholic fraternity, the most powerful way and the greatest doors that you can open every day. So that's what I'd like to talk about. Now, just close your eyes for a moment, and let's, just with St. Augustine, this great saint, this is his prayer to the Holy Spirit. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for the privilege that all of us have of being here during these days of grace. And I beg you, please, Holy Spirit, please let me decrease that Jesus may increase. Please, Holy Spirit, speak your word through me so that these people that you have chosen may hear you again and be touched through the power of your own spirit. And Mary, our mother, spouse of the Holy Spirit, you said yes, and your yes brought you to the foot of Calvary, but also to the resurrection and to become queen of heaven. So we ask you, Mary, today, as our mother and mother of the church, that you would intercede for us, that we may magnify Jesus through our yes. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You know, as I was listening to the speaker, different speakers today, I was thinking, 
When you hear people like Paddy talking about and the different speakers saying 45 years ago and 50 years, that's going to be the anniversary. And, and you know, we all think we're very young because you're always young in the spirit. <clears throat> well, I give my life to the Lord. I didn't know him personally as well as I did after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I was thinking how blessed I was because on Christmas Day, you know, my, I belong to a very happy little Catholic family in Ireland, not well off, small farmers, but at least my mom and dad, and we were, you know, a, a Catholic family, walked three miles to Mass, went to confession, did all the Catholic things, went to devotions, and at Christmas time, it was a custom in Ireland, that most times the wife would stay at home and she would make a big breakfast and we would go to midnight mass and my mom would go in the next day, Christmas day. When we went to mass and while I was at mass, my mother got a cerebral hemorrhage at 43. On Christmas day, she died. And you know, looking at the time, it's like a mosaic. You don't see a mosaic until you step back because it was a tragedy. If you look at it through human eyes, left a young family and a young husband, five children, and everything was ready for Christmas. And at a quarter to two, she died. But Christmas night, I went to my aunt's, and it was that night, ever, never heard it before, that I heard a voice. Now, I thought it was my mother. The voice said, Breach, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you just like that. And uh, later on, I went back to school. I was heartbroken, the only girl. But this voice was with me all the time. And I thought it was my mother, which no doubt that she did ask the Lord to help me. But then one day in school, I'm, I'm tone deaf. I sing, but anyway, I'm deaf. I was at music and I, I got this urge, they're not going to miss you in music. Go see the Mother General of the Poor Clares. So I skipped school, told nobody, never told my father, and I went off to the Poor Clares to see the Mother General. And it's in that enclosed Poor Clares, they're an active group. So I said to the nun, I went to see the Mother General. I was ushered in, child really, 13, 14. And she said, what do you want? I said, I want to be a nun. Well, she said, come back later. So I went back two weeks later. I thought, well, two weeks is long enough for her to make up her mind. <laughs> She's going to take me. At 15, 14 and a half, I had it then. I got permission. She said she'd take me to try me out. But I hadn't told my father. So I'm thinking. She said, well, you'll have to get permission from your father. And God bless my dad. 14, his only daughter, he said, Breach, if that's what you want to do, the boys will do what they want, so I entered. At 15 and a half, he gave me away as a beautiful bride, the best gift. He left me at the altar with the bishop, and I made my first commitment. I made my vows at 16, and it was a year later. Now, all this time, did I know the Lord? No, I loved him. And I have to say that the morning of my first vows, I had a glimmer of the Good Shepherd. I can still remember having a spiritual experience. But you know, 
it is the Holy Spirit that it's like making a good retreat. You make great resolutions, but then the go. You need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was born on the Feast of Pentecost. I came into the world on Pentecost Sunday, the only girl. So when I was professed, I was sent to England as a temporary professed, and I loved my life. I loved the convent. I was very happy. And then I was stricken with a crippling disease. And of course, I spent two years in a hospital. And then I was told by the Mother General, just as well you're professed because you would have been sent home. So you see, that's why God got me in at early age. I made my final vows. And somebody told me in Ireland that Florida was a wonderful place for arthritis. I had very bad arthritis, crippled hands, feet, my sores. Somebody said, you know, you should really go to Florida. It's really good for arthritic patients. A lie, but I went. I volunteered. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because when I went to Florida, it was a total culture. This is 49 years ago, going on 40, 48 and a half years. And I remember thinking, I'll never last. Everybody, the nuns are leaving, they're getting married, the priests are leaving. There's all kinds of problems after Vatican II. And the first priest that gave us a retreat said, we might have a temporary vocation. And I'm after getting a ring for perpetual for life. Anyway, it was then, thank you, Jesus, that a nun came to me and invited me to a prayer meeting. And it's history. I started going to the prayer meetings. I was very resistant. I don't have time to tell you. But you know, the Lord is the hound of heaven. He kept after me. And it was in 1970, in Orlando, at Mass, I had come to realize that physical sickness does not prevent you from being a saint. You can be a saint in a wheelchair. But I had, the Lord had given me the awareness that there was something wrong. I, I wasn't full of zeal. I said, why would I enter a convent? if I'm not going to go 100%, why would I give my life to Jesus and I don't even know him? And I, I got this thirst, like, you know, my soul is thirsting for the living God. So I was begging the Lord because I thought my friends are leaving the convent. What's going to keep me in? And I would hate to just stay if I wasn't, you know, in love with Jesus. I didn't know too much about charismatics, but I went anyway, and I used to sit there and say, you know, Jesus, I can't really pray out, but I'm here. Keep your eye on me. I'm here. And I kept going. And at 9 o'clock, quarter to 9, I'm sure we can all, every one of us, can tell the moment we met Jesus, that he became personal. At quarter to 9 on a Sunday morning, 1970, in Orlando, Florida, Kevin Ranhan and Father Ed O'Connor, two great charismatics. Father Ed O'Connor was celebrating Mass, and they were speaking, of course, about the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking what a lot of people think. They're really very holy. Bet you, if that priest prayed with me, I'd get what they're talking about. And I heard the Lord again saying, no, you seek me. So I closed my eyes, 
And brothers and sisters, I never asked for physical healing. Now remember, I was taking 30 pills a day. I had been in casts on my feet for two years. I had a lot of sickness. I closed my eyes and the only prayer I prayed, I wanted, I just wanted Jesus. I didn't want to be in a religious life and be just wasting my time. So I closed my eyes and said, Jesus, please come to me. And at that moment, a hand touched my head. This power started going down my body, my feet straightened, my elbows, my hands. I jumped up. I got everything. I started singing on the top of my voice in tongues. I haven't a note. At that moment, Jesus was there. I knew he was alive. Everything changed. I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with the Catholic faith. I fell in love with my vocation as a sister. I was on fire. So the next Monday, back to I went back to school. It was wonderful. So I went to see the doctor. And the doctor, who was trying everything, he used to say to me, I'd love to be able to help you, but you're not going to get better. You know, the arthritis was so bad. He said, but I'll ease your pain. So his idea of easing my pain was to give me about 30 or 40 pills a day. And he was a nice, nice man. So when I walked into him, because you know, brothers and sisters, that psychologically and emotionally, the baptism of the Holy Spirit heals everything. I mean, I was completely different. He didn't need to look at my body. He looked at my face. And he said to me, what happened to you? And he started to cry. He said, I believe in miracles, and Jesus has given you one. And he, trans he canceled everything. And from that day, I never had, I've had pains and aches since. But that was the end of that. Now, shortly after that, I was on fire. I worked in a prison. I started a prayer group. I, I met Al about, I think, um, six months. I don't even think you were married at the time, were you? He was just a young. And Paddy, by the way, I met Paddy before she got married, and somebody was standing beside me and said to her, are you going to be a nun, Paddy? And she said, oh, no, no, no. I thought it was not that bad. <laughs> but I was into everything. And I remember, you know, Everybody was saying, what happened to Breach? And the sad part, you know, sometimes in religious life, that people think, isn't it true, even with us in the charismatic new, that if you know Jesus and you're close to Jesus, your personality is going to change and you're not going to be able to have fun. Well, I always loved fun. I always had a good sense of humor, thank God. And I enjoyed life, loved people, loved what I was doing. And I remember when I came home the first year to the mother house in Ireland after I was healed. And I remember how I did that, I don't know. But I got a group of the sisters together. And I said I'd give them a retreat. I haven't a clue what I said to them. But anyway, I remember walking by and the mother general, one of the nuns is saying to the mother general, she has something. She definitely has something. And the poor mother general is bewildered. <laughs> wondering, what does she have? <laughs> and my first big experience with that mother general was that 
it was right after that that I got this call to the Ministry of Healing. And the Mother General, God bless her, she was a wonderful woman. She, uh, she wasn't too sure what to make out of it, but she said, you know, there's some sick people around that are asking if, I, if you would say a prayer with them. So I was going back to America because I was teaching at the time. So I said to the Mother General, how many will be there? She said, three or four people. Well, I said, you have them in the community room because all my friends are having a party for me before I go back to America. So before the party, I'll run up to the convent, I'll pray with those few people, and then I'll leave. That's what I thought. Now, in Ireland, they didn't have telephones. This is going back 40-some years. So I arrived at the convent before my party at my girlfriend's house. My dad and everybody was coming. They were getting together. And the police were at the convent, directing traffic. And I said, they wouldn't let me in. I was with my girlfriend drive up in this big Volvo, you see, and my habit and all. And this policeman with white gloves said, stop. And I said to him, very indignant, I said, I live in this convent. He said, well, you can't get in. I said, why? He said, it's a fire hazard. There's about 3,000 or 4,000 people in there waiting for a healing nun. <laughs> I tell you, I got such a fright. So what did I do? So I said to him, well, I'm the healing nun. And he said, oh, come now right ahead. Of <laughs> and all the nuns are up at the window. We have these big, big confidence, you know, and the nuns are opening the shutters, looking out the window at me. And the only way that I could do my first evangelizing was to get up on a ladder and, and preach with a big bullhorn out in this park on the front of the convent. So my poor dad comes along. And he doesn't know anything about I never told my dad, I thought, it's too complicated. I'm not bother telling him. So my dad comes, and he thinks that there's a football. He thinks there's blessing of graves. He doesn't know what to make out of the crowds in the town. So he comes to the convent, even though he wasn't supposed to. When he arrives there, he, they won't let him in. So you can't get in here. So he climbed the fire escape. He's a bit like, I'm a bit like him. You get find a way. So he looked over into the convent and he thought, oh my God, she's like Billy Graham. All he could see was me preaching. Now, the reason I tell you that is because that was the beginning of my healing ministry. And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that it's a very dangerous ministry. Why? Because people make you a false god. But the first thing I did after I received this ministry was I went to lure it to pray to our Blessed Mother. I did not want to be on the fringes of the church. I didn't want to be the sensational healer that everybody's going to make into a star or a saint or all of this. And I remember sitting at the grotto and begging Our Lady to please, please, Mary, help me as a Catholic nun to be able to live in the heart of the church, like St. said, be in the heart of the church, not you know, I had vows. I had to be obedient to my superiors, which I, I'm very blessed. I have a wonderful congregation that has given me permission for 49 years, now 48 years, to do my work around the world. Great blessing for me. But I remember I begged Our Lady, and I was afraid of my life of healing. And I was, you know, all the things that if you don't pray the right way, and, you know, 
Barbara Schliemann was somebody that joined our charismatic community in Florida, and she was a nurse, and I used to listen to her praying, and she had every organ inside. She knew all the names because she was a nurse. I didn't know a thing about it. I just prayed. I said, Jesus, I don't know what's wrong with them or what organs they have, but heal it. <laughs> anyway, but after that visit to Lourdes, I got two wonderful gifts. One was that it was shortly after that that the Lord put into my life a priest called Father Kevin Scallon. Many of you know <clears throat> Father Kevin. The Lord showed me him two years before in a vision that I would meet a priest who uh, was very much used by the Lord in his ministry. At that time, I already had a ministry to priests, which I haven't time to tell you. I had a five-hour vision of the ordination of a priest. I had a wonderful, a wonderful encounter in my chapel one evening and saw the whole insight into priesthood. The Lord then revealed this priest to me and Father Kevin and myself met. Now, why am I telling you that? Because something extraordinary happened. From the healing ministry that at that time, Remember, I had prayed to a lady, please show me a way to minister in the ministry of healing as a Catholic nun that will not make my Catholic brothers and sisters fearful that I can minister in the heart of the church. Because of our joint ministry to priests, which we started to work together with the blessing of his superior and mine, but the Lord then showed me, began to show me miracles at Mass. Father Rick Thomas, a great friend of uh, Paddy and Al knew, and uh, myself, who's a great friend of Father Harold Cohn, who was a friend, great, great, great priest, saintly man, in the beginning of the renewal. And I went to minister for Father Rick Thomas in Mexico, and it was there that I saw my first miracle. There was no talk about, they didn't know who I was, but at the consecration of the Mass, I saw a miracle. I saw a little Down syndrome child healed. I saw a child who was severely burned. And I stood there in awe because I had gone to daily mass since I was 13. And that night, the Lord, I, I was very restless that night. And I came across the border back to El Paso in Texas. I thought, why did Jesus bring me to the poorest people in Mexico to show me this demonstration of miracles? Father Rick Thomas had evangelized these people. They were on fire. And the miracles were happening as I stood there watching. And in the middle of the night, I got up and the Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said. I brought you here because I want to teach you. I come to the altars of the world. I come every day in the Eucharist. I brought you here because I have a mission for you. I want you to go into the world and I want you to remind your brothers and sisters in the faith that I am the one that will heal them. If they will come to me, I will transform their lives. I want you to preach on the Eucharist. I had a burning, that night he put into my heart tremendous awareness of what the Mass is. Now, Father Kevin had, has a wonderful, a wonderful love for the, for the Mass. Never missed it practically ever since he was ordained 
60, almost 55 years ago. And it was through him in Korea, where we were asked to minister to the bishops, that we begun what we call, and it's very common now, Eucharistic healing services, where we begun to, I found myself, the Lord saying to me, people will travel all over the world to see signs and wonders. People will come to touch you. Your ministry from now on is to bring them to me in the Eucharist. Tell them about me. Tell them to come to me, and I will show them signs and wonders. And so, brothers and sisters, for this last 30, 40 years now, Father Kevin and myself have been around the world with bishops, priests, in wonderful, I'll tell you tomorrow when I'm speaking about healing, I'm going to speak on healing in the scriptures, but we've seen miracles. So that's the first part. Now I'd like to tell you what the Lord put in my heart for you. The other morning when I was coming back from Holy Communion, I asked the Lord, I was praying for the fraternity, and I heard the Lord saying, just talk to them about the Eucharist. Talk to them about where they, as leaders, must find holiness and strength, especially Catholic leaders. And brothers and sisters, as our brother uh, was speaking this afternoon, I couldn't help thinking of how 50 years ago, when, when the Holy Spirit came down upon Patty and when all this extraordinary things happened, we thought the world was bad. But you know now, brothers and sisters, for those of us who live in Europe and America, we see our, this continent of Europe is slowly being transformed. And whether, you know, we're all afraid of political correctness, you can't say anything. But I read someplace recently where Saudi Arabia has offered to build 20,000 mosques across Europe for the refugees. So what does that mean? That over and over we see our Christian countries are slowly being taken from us. And that's why we as Catholics and all Christians, as our brother said, geez, we have to proclaim Jesus. But for us now as a Catholic church, our churches are empty. Our churches are closing in many places. Why? And I believe this is the mission that the fraternity and the renewal people have, that now is the beginning when the battle will begin, and that we have to stand for Jesus. We have to preach from the rooftop, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, <clears throat> so, in the Catholic Church, there are seven doors. And those seven doors for Catholics are the sacraments. And each door introduces you to Jesus for a different grace and blessing in your life. I haven't time to go through. I wrote a little book on the power of the sacraments. But I'd like to look at the two sacraments for you and me that are vital and that has been very much brought to the forefront through Pope John Paul, Pope Benedict and our beloved Pope Francis. The first door, right after the resurrection, Jesus gathered the disciples, he breathed on them, and he gave them power to forgive sin. That was the, that's the, 
the fruits of the passion and death and resurrection. The purpose Jesus came was to free us from Satan's domination. And so he gave to his bishops and priests a power. He breathed on them. And he gave us this great sacrament of mercy. The sacrament of reconciliation, brothers and sisters, in the Catholic Church, and for everybody, is the most needed grace door we have to go through. And for us, if we are going to try and evangelize the world, then we have to constantly meet the Jesus of mercy. And this is why St. Faustina, I read the diary over and over again. And I go to Poland. I have my great brother here. and I'm very close to the Polish community, Father Tadeus. And I go there and I think to myself, that little nun, the wisdom of her diary, and the, 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 the wonderful teachings of mercy. And she said to the bishops, to the priests, priests are the channels of my mercy in the world. And so I would say to you, that door is very important. In the ministry that I'm in, I've had some very interesting stories, and I can't, I'm going to tell you a beautiful testimony. Because, you know, Faustina was given the chaplet, the chaplet of divine mercy. It's very simple, but isn't it true that it's the simple things that are wonderful? These little devo the devotional life is like, I tell them, it's like petrol or gasoline. It keeps you going. People lived, you know, and I hear priests at our devotions, I have no time for them. The people lived in Japan, in Ireland, in these countries when they were under persecution. It was their devotional life, which, which adds fire to us. The chaplet of divine mercy, it's very powerful. If you don't know it as a charismatic and as a fraternity, it is powerful. I'm going to tell you a true story of something that happened. I have a very good friend, a priest, a priest who told me this beautiful testimony. He said that every year about seven or eight priests would go away for a few days just to relax after a busy schedule of Easter and Holy Week ceremonies. And there was one priest there who would always say when they would ask him, Father, would you like to be the celebrant at the Mass? And he'd say, no, no. He was very quiet, seemed very... Um, withdrawn. And then one day, one year, he came and he offered to celebrate the Mass. He said, I would like to share a wonderful experience I've just had. And he told the story of how he was invited, or invited, yes, requested, by his cousin in San Francisco who was dying. And he was very close to him. And he was in Boston, I think it was, or on the East Coast. And he asked him, please, he was a priest, would you come? I'm, I'm, I'd really love to see you. So the young priest, about 35 years of age, went to San Francisco. And when he got to the hospital, 
There was a little nun outside, and when she saw the Roman collar, she was so excited. She said, Father, oh, thank God you're here. And he's thinking, I don't even know who you are. And I'm here for my cousin. She said, listen, I know, I don't know who you're visiting, but there's a man in Ward 4, and he is bitter. He's been here for two months, and he's a Catholic. He practices nothing. He's angry with God, and I'm desperate. I have been praying and praying for him. Please, would you go in? And don't leave. Every priest that goes in walks out. He said, would you go in? So he went in, hesitant, but he said, I'll go in. And the man saw the Roman collar and he started cursing and screaming, get out of here, I don't want a priest. God doesn't want anything to do with me. He stood there and he said, but you know, God loves you. Why are you so angry? He said, you don't understand. But he didn't move. He kept putting in little phrases and tried to get him to break him down, to stop, you know, screaming and swearing at him. And eventually the man said, you don't know what I did. He said, I spent half my life in jail. He said, I murdered a whole family. And the priest looked at him and he said, but you know something, Jesus can forgive you. If you repent, he can forgive. He said, Jesus couldn't forgive me. And then he started to cry. And he said, I was a drug addict. And I was an alcoholic. And he said, I was the train switcher on, one of the, on the train. And I didn't do my job. I fell asleep. And a family were killed crossing the bridge. A mother, a father, and three children. And he looked at him. There was dead silence. The man was sobbing. And the priest said to him, did it happen in 1967, 73 or whatever? And he said, how do you know? He said, that was my mother and father and my three brothers that were killed. And the priest, the man looked at him and he said, what? And he just burst out crying. And the priest said to him, I never knew what happened. I never heard the story. I was a little boy playing soccer. My rest of my family was going someplace, and he wasn't with them. But he said, you know something? I'm not just an ordinary man. Today, I'm a priest. And I can, if you are willing, you have already confessed. If you're willing to let me minister to you as a priest, I'll give you God's mercy and his forgiveness. The man went to confession his whole life and that night died. When sister, when he came out, the wee sister was holding the and she said, Father, I have prayed the divine mercy, and Jesus promised that he would not disappoint those who put their trust in him and his mercy. And that's why I would say to you, in your in you know, you all have communities, fraternities, and we all have family members. <laughs> who are not living for Jesus, who have lost the faith, pray, pray for the Jesus of mercy. And in your own life, go to confession. I try, I got a word as Father Kevin did. We, I go to confession at least every two weeks if I can. I send my guardian angel wherever I am and I find a priest. I tell him I need, and people say, oh, you wouldn't go to confession. What do you tell him? You'd be amazed. You ask your neighbors about, or your people you live with, and they'll tell you your sins, you know? 
You'd be amazed. But it's a great grace because when you open that door, the Jesus of compassion and mercy is waiting. He took that priest from the other end of America across for one soul. And that's how desperately in love Jesus is with us. And we as Catholics, I mean, people don't go to confession. I met somebody who said, I thought confession was done away with at Vatican too. You think, where are these people coming from? Sin is sin. Now, the second thing I would say to you is the door of the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharist is three things. Remember, brothers and sisters, that the greatest event that ever happened on this world, the greatest event that ever happened or ever will happen on our universe was when God sent his beloved son, Jesus. Jesus came with a mission. Jesus came with a mission, and his mission was to win salvation, was to stand in your place and my place before the fact and take all our filth, everything, and nail it to the cross. He gave his life. He sacrificed himself that you and I would have life. He gave himself. He won the victory over Satan. That's the greatest. That it changed everything on this earth. For Muslims, Jews, it doesn't matter who you are. The victory of Calvary, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus was and is the victory for all humanity. And on the day when everybody goes through the door of death, they're going to discover that Jesus was the door. Jesus is the way. Without Jesus, we can't have salvation. Jesus is the one. And everybody will bend their knee. We sing that. Now, that's the victory. Only God, only God could have thought of a way for you and me to participate in our victory, because it's our victory. He won it on our behalf. We claim the benefits. All we have to do is claim the benefits of this great victory. This is our victory. Jesus, when, and this is why a crucifix is our great victory. When you bless yourself, you're calling on the blood of the victory of Jesus all over your body. Protect yourself with the victory of salvation. Only the Lord could have thought of a way on Holy Thursday night. When he gathered those apostles, he did something that is extraordinary. And you can't believe it in the head. And you, we can't say it to other people. You have to understand. You have to believe what we believe as Catholics. No. The Holy Spirit will give. But woe to those who have received this, this gift. He told those disciples on that night, he gathered them in the upper room, and he gave them power to make present the victory, the sacrifice. So from the moment when he ordained those first men, and he chose them, he prayed all night. And you know, this thing, the secular world talks about power and authority. The power that we talk about in the church has nothing to do with earthly power. It's the power to make Jesus present. And these men were given this power to do what? As Patrick Pio said, St. Pio, when you walk into Mass, and today I want you to think of this now when we're having Mass, when Mass begins, 
time ceases. And we believe as Catholics that we are present at the very passion, death, and resurrection. We are present at the victory of our salvation. That's why for 2,000 years, the Catholic Church and the, the popes and encyclicals, and we have the discipline of this stock, it is so special. It's not a prayer meeting, it's not a feeling. And see, after Vatican II, people often go to Mass to be entertained. People think, I, I don't like the Mass because the priest's not charismatic. Or I don't like it because there's no sing. Brothers and sisters, whether it is in the dungeons of a prison cell in China where many priests, or whether it's in Notre Dame Cathedral, the Mass is the reenactment of the passion, death, and resurrection. It is the most powerful, it, it is the center of Catholic life. And when you go to Mass, you don't go to be entered, you go to claim and to receive the power of the victory of Jesus. And that's why the mother, the church as a mother says, asks us to go to Mass on Sunday, not because Jesus needs you, but because you need this victory to live in a world of sin, to be able to overcome. And that's, my brothers and sisters, the first thing I would say to you as a fraternity. For a Catholic fraternity, and it doesn't mean that we're not ecumenical, we have to be, as I said to one of my brothers, 100% what we profess. If I'm a Catholic, I went into a church one day, a Catholic church to speak, and the parish priest said to me, Breed, what are you speaking on? And I said, the Eucharist. And he said, oh, be very careful because there's a lot of Pentecostals here. Hmm. I said they're going to learn about Catholics. They probably don't know what we believe. And about 20 of them came up were lapsed Catholics, left the faith because they didn't know it, and came back to thank me and say, oh, it was wonderful. We're so delighted you spoke. Priest was trying to be politically correct. Brothers and sisters, so remember, Every time you come to Mass, you're coming to the victory of our salvation. That's what the Mass It's not entertainment. It is full of power. I would, when I hear people saying, and even in convents, they say, oh, another Mass? I think to myself, I go to Africa. I see the people crawling to Mass. I always think of a beautiful testimony Father Cohen shared with me. He was Father Cohen, one of the priests of the past. <laughs> about the, the, the young American priest who went to Africa. And he was assigned to a parish in Nigeria, way out in the bush. And the first day he went there, he was really hot. You know, it was a different climate. The food, it was a, like, a, like a, a mud hut. And all these people crowded in. There's no, of course, no air or anything else. And he was really feeling very weak, you know, he had just arrived. And while he was there, it was the time when there was 12 hours fast, he had no food, he hadn't eaten, he had to go quite a ways out to this new assignment. And when he came back to the central house, he had a story to tell. He, the parish priest said, well, how did you do today? Well, he said, I really was very, it was really hard, he said, because, you know, it's a different climate and the people were different. And I was from a you know, background where I never experienced anything like this. Nothing prepared me. He said, there was only one ray of light that gave me great strength. He said, and before he could finish, the priest said, 
Was it a woman? A little woman crawl up to communion? And he said, yes. This woman crawled up, he said, and she pulled herself up on the altar and put her tongue out. But before she did, she gave him the most beautiful smile. And the parish priest looked and he said, let me tell you about her. He said, who is she? He said, well, I came here, what, 20 years, whatever, before. He said, and I would go out to, this was first generation baptized Christians, Catholics. He said, for about six months, I watched this woman crawl in. And people walked around her, nobody noticed, just went their own way, you know. And one day I said to the Catholics, who is she? This is the parish priest. He said, well, she lives about a mile from here. And he said, why does she crawl? She wasn't that old, but she looked probably much older with the suffering. He said, well, she has no feet. Her feet are removed. And he was so struck. And he thought, I have to go and see her. She doesn't have to crawl. So he said, in his innocence, he thought, he sent a message to her because they'd go to they'd have Mass on Sunday and the first Friday. So he sent a message and he, that he was coming to visit her house on the first Friday. And what he was going there to tell her was to, that he would bring her Holy Communion, that she didn't have to crawl. Because she crawled all the way on the road. So he went to see her and she was so excited that a priest, it was like God himself was coming. A priest was coming. And she had her little mud hut all decorated. She was so excited. So he arrived. And when the priest came in and he talked to her for a little while and then he started to tell her why he came, she started to cry. And she looked at him and she said, Father, is that why you came? She said, you're telling me that God, my ancestors were pagan, we never heard, the missionaries brought us the gospel and, and the Catholic faith and you're telling me that my Jesus, who died for me, humiliates himself and comes as a host, as a little piece of bread, looks like the Jesus, and that I don't have to go for him to come to me. She, she picked up her dress, he said, and she showed him her knees, and she said, Father, don't deprive me of the only expression of love I have. I have nothing to give Jesus, but I can give him my, this sacrifice. Please let me come to Jesus on my knees. What would you do? What would I do? Father said he walked out of there humiliated because he thought to himself, he thought he was doing her a favor. And she continued for years to do that. Brothers and sisters, that's a woman. She had no degree in theology. She had no learning. But the Holy Spirit, and I pray every day as a Catholic nun to the Holy Spirit, please help me to understand the mysteries. Because we do have mysteries in our faith. And mysteries are understood not here but here. And that's why the martyrs of my country and all over, that's why martyrs die because they're convinced. They don't need, they, they have the Holy Spirit and they know. That's why many of your ancestors, many of our Catholic people today around the world are dying for the Eucharist and for the priesthood. Ireland was an example. They died. That's why I'd say to you, 
you know, it is a wonderful, wonderful victory that we can claim every day. I said recently in a mission I was given to the Catholics, all retired, thousands of them, and I said to them, you know, please, there's mass every morning and there's about 10 people at it and you all go to play golf and it's wonderful all the things to do. But look at your missing. This is Jesus on your altar. This is Jesus. The second thing the Eucharist is, it's communion with Jesus. Tell me, brothers and sisters, when you get word that you have an illness or cancer, don't you go to a doctor how many Catholic, how many people come to me but don't go to Mass? I say to them, look at, please go to the Eucharist and Jesus will heal you. Jesus will. I remember speaking in Brussels for Cardinal Sunens at his residence and I was saying to these people in the residence, please realize when you meet Jesus, he's a person. You know, he said to St. Faustina, People come to me at Mass as if I'm a dead object. They receive me as if I'm a dead object. Jesus is alive. He's body, blood, soul, and divinity. So I was telling them this in Brussels, you know. And I said, now this host, whether you're taking your tongue, that, for Catholics, that is the Lord. Ask him. Talk to yourself. Tell yourself, what would I say? I'm going to meet Jesus face to face and all of a sudden we have mass and this nun comes up and she receives holy communion and she starts screaming and cardinal students he's getting nervous you know he was a bit nervous of what's going to happen what had happened was and i know the lord did this to demonstrate i'm here it's true what the nuns saying even though they all knew she had a paralyzed hand and the, ho the priest put the host on her hand, and she, the power came back. What did Cardinal Sunas, he was, I came over to her, and she was all excited, because she had lost the power of her hand <clears throat> as a young nun. And the Cardinal looked, and he says, oh, don't say anything yet. Wait and see, will it last? I said, your eminence, where's your faith? <laughs> We're afraid. We think, oh, maybe it won't last. But you know, that I, I see miracles all the time. I see miracles through the Eucharist. Do I see miracles? Physical, yes. I see all kinds. And I'm going to just give you two. And the last thing I'm going to tell you is Jesus, communion with Jesus. You have the privilege as Catholic leaders and as leaders to take Jesus. You, like one of the early fathers of the church said, when you take the Eucharist, you eat the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the living bread, what did Jesus say? I am the living bread come down from him. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood will have life and have it in abundance. Half the Catholics around the world are going around like zombies and they're taking communion. What's wrong? Jesus hasn't changed. We have to be like the little woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Everybody was touching, but one was healed. We have to come to the Eucharist in a sense of expecting faith and to be present to the Lord. That's why I, I'm always, at our Catholic missions, we give priest, uh, retreats around the world, missions, and we always say, we're not here to tell you anything but what you believe as a Catholic. We're not asking you 
to do something. We're just asking you, if you profess your faith, it's like having a fridge full of food and being starving. This communion with Jesus. So I want you today, brothers and sisters, when you receive the Eucharist, to ask yourself the question, do I, how would I be at Calvary? Remember when we read the Passion of all the people who walked by, it didn't interest them. Who are you when you put yourself at Calvary? How do you respond to Jesus? When you come to receive Jesus, what, how do you receive him? You know, all the popes, including our beloved Pope Francis, is continuously talking to us about the person of Jesus, receiving Jesus. I know that the radiance and what Pope Francis does is because he loves, he spends hours in prayer, in Eucharistic prayer. Which brings me to the third thing the Eucharist is. The Catholics believe that light in the sanctuary, that Jesus is alive always. You see, the difference between all Christians believe Jesus is Lord. We, thanks be to God, we have this common denominator. We believe in the resurrection. We believe, and when you go to countries, I mean, Father Kevin, myself, ministered a lot in Islamic countries where there are Catholic priests trying to minister to the Catholic populations in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, all those countries. When you go to places where it's Buddhist, when you meet a Christian who believes in Jesus, there's a, a unity, a bond. But for Catholics... We as Catholics believe more than just in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus is personally present in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, a person in the Eucharist, the presence of Jesus. He's a person. It's the difference between looking at a photograph or being with your children in the room. Now, to tell you two stories. And this has been wonderful for me because, you know, the healing ministry has given me a wonderful opportunity around the world to evangelize to Catholics. Some years ago, we were giving a priest retreat in Kenya. And I tell this story because it's a wonderful testimony to what God will do. And the, the bishop asked us after the retreat if we would have a mass and a Eucharistic healing service for the Catholics of the diocese. Well, God bless the African church because it is the up and growing church and they love the Lord and they, they walked for miles. When we arrived back from the retreat center, there were thousands of Catholics inside and outside the Catholic cathedral. And we had mass, 130 or 40 priests, and we had beautiful uh, celebration and then we had a Eucharistic healing service. When Father Kevin was walking down the aisle, he was carrying the monstrance, and I was at the microphone, and what I, this is how, and we please God, we'll have one on Sunday before the closing Eucharistic healing service. When they're looking, I'm saying, look at the host. It has nothing to do with feelings. That is Jesus. Just like I tell the people, your feelings doesn't make transubstantiation happen on the altar. The Holy Spirit, through the ordained priest, makes it happen. He's there whether you believe it or not, as a Catholic. He is there. But to believe and to be open, there's a big difference. So I'm saying to the people, now look at Jesus. And if you're sick of your any needs, you ask Jesus. There's a little boy in the front row of the cathedral. And you know, brothers and sisters, it's a real witness to your faith and my faith 
does encourage others. When you have conviction and you believe, you know, I'm always saying to the clergy, I love the priesthood. I love the priesthood. And I feel like a mother with all these bishops and priests around the world. But I'm always saying to them, you know, you wouldn't say, you're not convincing enough about the, when you preach the gospel. And especially about the faith. But I was saying to this, please look at Jesus. And this little boy would get up. And he would look, you know, he was all excited as Father Kevin was walking towards him. When Father Kevin came in front of him, the little boy put up his two hands and everybody, you know, in Africa, they sing and they are not concerned about what Mrs. So-and-so thinks about. They were all praising God and singing. This little boy was there and he's reaching out. And as he reached out, he started to cry. And he was, Father Kevin lowered the monstrance and the little boy was trying to touch Jesus. He was listening to me. And every time I would say, this is Jesus, he'd clap his hands and oh, he was all excited. Father moved on. Afterwards, we were in the sacristy, and in comes a nun, the missionary, and she said, come out and see what's happening. There was this racket outside, singing and tambourines and dancing around the tabernacle, and the little boy was up on the table, and the villagers were dancing around. Guess what happened? He was paralyzed. He had been carried by his father from a village and put sitting in the front. His uncle is a priest celebrating Mass, and he's watching his nephew be healed as he talked to Jesus. He was completely transformed and healed. Well, as a result of that, the bishops of Kenya asked us to come back, and we went back for two-week crusades, they called it, crusades across from Mombasa, from Nairobi to Mombasa, to all the diocese, to have Eucharistic celebrations in stadiums. And brothers and sisters, the bishops, they would have mass and the, the mass and the big Eucharistic healings have their own diocese. Then they would go to their home diocese to be with their own, you know, they're very family oriented with their own families and tribe and whatnot. After it was over, two weeks, we were much younger then, you know, every day, the bishop said to us, we brought you all the way from Ireland to tell us something we already have. All we did was remind them, and that's what I would do to you as, as people today, remind, you have this wonderful gift of Jesus. And the last thing I would say to you, and then I'd like to read a prophetic word that Pope John Paul spoke. You know, I'm from Northern Ireland, and I was uh, listening to the, we're talking about ecumenism today. It's very interesting that, you know, Northern Ireland is known for many things, but it's also known for having war and a lot of trouble, a divided community of Protestants and Catholics. But God was very good to me when I got, when I committed the healing ministry, that it was through an Episcopal priest in America, whom I had received the word from the Lord, and he confirmed out in California told me he'd never spoke to a Roman Catholic nun, but that I had the gift of healing, told me everything that happened to me in the chapel. So I, God was healing me of my prejudice. And then Vincent Sinan, which many of you may know, he's a wonderful, wonderful Protestant evangelist in America. Vincent Sinan sat beside me in an airplane. Now, I thought he was nuts, what he said to me. He looked at me, he said, you're a Catholic nun. I said, yes. He said, I have a prophecy, a vision, and a prophecy for you. And I'm thinking... He doesn't know who I am. He said, 
I see you standing in front of a hall or a place, he said, and there's a lot of men dressed in black and mitered like bishops. And God is using you, is going to use you. I was teaching first grade, and I'm thinking, he's crazy. And he gave me a beautiful prophecy, which was fulfilled. Hallelujah. Did you lose me? Oh. Anyway, this last one I'm going to share with you happened in Belfast. I was in Belfast uh, a couple of years ago, speaking at a Divine Mercy Conference. My English translator. Can you hear? Oh, she, you speak English. Anyway, all right? Yeah. I was in, um, in Belfast speaking at a Divine Mercy. And just before the healing service, a little boy came up to me. This is only a couple of years ago. And he put his arm around my neck and he said to me, my granny told me to come up to you because I'm very sick. And she told me to ask you to ask Jesus to heal me. So I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Jude. I said, did you make your first communion? He said, no. I said, well, no, Jude. In about 15 minutes, Jesus is going to be walking around the church. And your children are like sponges. They are very susceptible to what we teach them the faith. They believe. They don't have any problems with when you, and this is why. What a horrible thing when children do not get the faith from us adults. This little boy, anyway, in two minutes I told him, I said, when you see Jesus, he's in that big host. You talk to Jesus, and I didn't know what was wrong with him. I said, you tell Jesus that your granny and sister Breach with you are asking you to heal him. So he gave me a kiss and went back to his place, to his granny. Anyway... The priest starts down the aisle at the Eucharistic healing service. And the next thing, Jude steps out in the middle of the aisle, puts his hand up and shouts, stop. And the priest is kind of shocked, you know, all the people are looking. And he then held the vestment of the priest so he wouldn't move. And he said, Jesus, my granny and sister Breach said, you, you can heal me. Would you heal me, Jesus? And everybody's crying. This little boy is talking to Jesus as if he could see him. And he's saying, I'm very sick, Jesus. And then he stood there for, I think he thought maybe Jesus was going to say something to him, or like audibly. And then he looked at him, and then he goes, and went back to his place. So the priest was really, everybody was touched. About a week later, the mother, grandmother, I still didn't know what was wrong with him. The grandmother wrote to me. And she said, little Jude had kidney cancer, one kidney removed when he was a baby. And he's now seven, and the other kidney is cancerous. And they're very, very worried because it, the cancer is spreading. And he was going into the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast for, uh, to see what they could do for the child. He was very yellow, very sick. She said, sister, I waited. She said, you know, his parents don't practice, which is unfortunately what the grandparents, as Pope Francis is, of the world are bringing their children to the Lord. Thanks be to God for grandparents. Well, 
He went to the Royal Victoria to discover he had a brand new kidney, no cancer. So three years later, two years later, he came back to see me. I was giving a mission in Belfast. And this beautiful young boy now made his first communion with his mom and dad. Grandmother had gone on to heaven. <clears throat> the little boy comes in, puts his arms around me. And I said, Jude, what do you think? He looks at me with the most beautiful smile. He says, Sister Breach, Jesus is brilliant. And then he got worried maybe that I would be offended that he didn't think I was brilliant. So he says, but you're brilliant too because you told me about him. <laughs> That's the Jesus. That's the Jesus that we meet. That's why I thank God for my work with Father Kevin because the focus is completely taken from me, the healing, and brought to where as a Catholic. And I say it all the time. I remember, you know, telling bishops and priests, you know, in the Catholic Church, don't forget you have Jesus. He's the sacrifice. He's present. He, he's communion for you. And you can come to him anytime. And I'm going to finish now with this prophetic word. Many of you have read it and heard it. But our beloved St. John Paul came to America, I think it was in 1978 in Philadelphia. 70. Six, 76. He was then a bishop. He wasn't the Pope. But he gave a very prophetic... Was he Pope? Cardinal. Cardinal. He gave a prophetic... Listen to this now. If this is not prophetic when you hear this word. <clears throat> we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I do not think the wide circle of the American society or the wide circle of the Christian community in the world realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the antichrist. The confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. It is therefore in God's plan, and it must be a trial which the church must take up and face courageously. We must prepare ourselves to suffer great trials before long, such as will demand of us a disposition to give up even life and a total dedication to Christ for Christ. With your and my prayers, it is possible to mitigate the coming tribulation but it is no longer possible to avert it, because only thus can the church be effectively renewed. How many times has the renewal of the church sprung from the shedding of blood? This time, too, it will not be otherwise. We must be strong and prepared and trust in Christ and in his Holy Mother and be very assiduous in praying the Holy Rosary. And that, I think, is what the Lord would call us as a fraternity in this time in the history of, because there are lots and lots and lots of people waiting to hear the good news of the gospel. God bless you.